Okay. We have started last Sunday looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you want to take those and turn with me to that, to that chapter. Um, how many of you have ever read in its entirety the, both letters to the church at Corinth? Okay. Particularly the first letter, when you, when you begin to read it and you begin to study it, I think very quickly you find out that, that all's not well in the church at Corinth. Would you agree with that? Uh, right from the beginning, Paul begins to deal with issues in that church. The church had problems. I would uh, say that the church, the origin of those problems in the church at Corinth is the same origin that we find when any church has problems. When people take their focus off of Jesus and start putting their focus on anything else, then problems are going to happen. Now, usually what we as human beings, what we do when we take our focus off of Jesus, we, we actually put our focus pretty much on ourselves. It really, it really comes down to that issue. The issue is, will we focus on ourselves or will we focus on Jesus? Now, the enemy of our soul has no problem with you and I putting our focus upon self. As long as we don't put our focus upon Jesus. Now, here's the reason why. It's only as we are walking in the Spirit, and that's what I mean by putting our focus on Jesus, only as we are listening to the Spirit and we are responding to the Spirit, obeying the Spirit in our life, that we can actually hear what the Spirit has to say to us. And in hearing what the Spirit has to say to us, it's only in that place that we can be used to the fullness, to, to the fullest of what God has intended for His church to be. And that can only happen when we take focus off of self and put focus upon Him. We dull our hearing when we look at self. We dull our hearing when we look at other things other than Jesus. And I think the intent of Paul's writing to the church at Corinth basically and primarily is once again to call them back to to making sure that Christ is the center of their life. And that they focus upon the reality of God in their lives rather than focus upon even the things that God does. Might sound strange to you, but I, I think the church can become distracted even by focusing on the things that God does rather than focusing upon God. And too often what we can do sometimes is God does something mighty in our midst. God does something wonderful in our midst. He does something different than He's ever done it before, and we are just so overwhelmed at what God has done. And before long, what we like to do is we like to build a memorial to what God has done. The problem with building memorials to what God has done is that we, we come, we observe the memorial, and we forget God in it. We look at the, at, the, at the occurrence, and we forget the one who brought it about. The other thing we do with memorials is we like to keep going back to them. We think they are what our life is about. Don't you remember when God did this among us? Don't you remember? When we, and it is good to remember those things, except if all you're going to do is spend the rest of your life trying to get back to that, Instead of responding daily to the newness and the freshness of what God has for His church. God wants us to seek Him. God wants us to know Him. God wants us to to have Him be the, the center of our life. Think about the church at Corinth with me before we get into the passage this morning. Just think about what was going on in that church. And why would he spend all of chapter 12 really trying to help them focus upon the Spirit of God in their life? Well, the book opens with issues within the body of Christ. 
the issues describe the word that we use there, sectarianism. What is that? That is people saying, you know what, I'm a Paul. Paul's my man. He's the one I'm following, and I'm of Apollos. He, I like Apollos better than Paul. He can speak better than Paul. He looks better than Paul. He's taller than Paul. All these kind of things. You know, he has more hair than Paul. I'm just using those examples because everybody tries to figure out what was wrong with Paul. He was bald. He couldn't see. He was ugly. He was short. All these kind of things. I don't know what it was, but for some reason they got all these ideas about Paul. So Paul, Apollos was just the opposite of Paul. He was just everything that Paul was not. So, so we're not a Paul. We're actually of Apollos. Paulus, you know, and, and no, wait a minute, wait, we like, we like to, the bold approach, we like Cephas, we like, we like to go after him, he's a bold approach, so, so we're of Cephas, and well, you know what, y'all got it wrong, y'all are wrong, we're of Christ. Now you would say, well, it sounds like the last group got it right, except if in the, in the declaration of being of Christ, you look down upon other people. See, Jesus can be used as a byword. You understand that? When we diminish the importance and, and, and the place of other people that God has brought in our life, and we use Jesus' name to do that, we actually use Jesus as a byword to put other people down. So the, the church was, was divided about who they would follow. You go on in this book, and, and, and he goes on to talk about the immorality that was in the church in that day. Terrible, terrible things where, where a young man apparently was having sexual relationships with his, with his mother, stepmother, you know, depending on who you read. But it, it actually says her father, or his father's wife. And the church turned a blind eye to it and let this continue on. And Paul was so, he was so overwhelmed by it. He says, I can't even believe that you would, you would accept in the body of Christ that which even the unbelievers would not accept among themselves. Later on, he goes on to talk about their worship services. In chapter 11, he, he deals with the fact that he even makes this incredible statement. You know, it would have been better if you all would have just stayed at home. Because what was happening when they came together was not of God. It was not Christ-centered. The Holy Spirit was not leading them in that. In other words, what they were doing is, I'm here for me. I'm going to get what I can get. And he talked about even that they, that they gorged themselves with the food and they drank themselves drunk with, with, with the wine that was there. It was all about them and they ran over each other to get what they needed. Doesn't sound much like the body of Christ, does it? Doesn't sound much like the church. And then we come to chapter 12. And what's clear to me as I read chapter 12 and the following chapters is there was a... a a spirit of spiritual superiority in that church. It's interesting to me, in 2,000 years, it doesn't seem like anything's changed. You know, where people would look to what they were doing, what they were about, what they were apparently gifted with, what they were apparently talented with, and put their calling, their giftedness, their, their talent above the talent of others in the body of Christ. Look at me. You can't be me. You can't do what I can do. I must be more special to God and I must have more of the Holy Spirit than you have because I am doing more than you could ever possibly do. A competition. A, again, the thought of putting someone else down because God has chosen to use you in a certain ministry in a certain place. Unfortunately, and I want, to, I want you to hear this, much of what they considered to be their giftedness from God had more to do with their own carnal natures than any work of God within them. 
they were able to manufacture things. They were actually able to change things and the work of the Holy Spirit attributed to the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't anything more than what they were doing in their flesh. And the result of that was to draw attention to themselves and to build up themselves rather than to build up the body of Christ. So in chapter 12, I think Paul is going to give a great lesson in correction here. A great lesson in what, what it really is all about. Last week we learned that the words that he used there really puts the emphasis upon the Holy Spirit or the spiritualities is a term that's actually, actually defined there. Just speaking of not so much about the gifts himself, but about the giver of the gifts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, The promise of Jesus Christ to his church. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. The intention of the work of the Holy Spirit among the body of Christ has a purpose, and the purpose is never to make the individual look more spiritual than all other people, or to build up the individual where they can say, look at me, type thing. And now we continue that in Acts, excuse me, in First, First Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll start this morning reading at verse 4, and we'll read through verse 11 this morning. Here's what is recorded for us. It says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but in the same God who works all in all. But it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of gifts, and to another the interpretation of excuse me, I, I misread that. To another the different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11 now. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now I hope that as you've read that, maybe a light's gone on for you. Because in the past, I would confess to you that there have been times that I read that, and I say, okay, now I've got to spend the next, well, you know me, I was going to say half hour, but the next 45 minutes <laughs> describing and putting the emphasis upon the gifts themselves. Now, we're going to talk about the gifts, but the issue here, I remind you, is not the gifts. Certainly there is a list of gifts that are given there. But the, but, but the idea behind Paul's writing here, to me, becomes very clear that it is not the emphasis upon the gifts or what they are or, or how they work so much, but the emphasis is upon the Holy Spirit who is the giver of the gifts. And that the church, if it's not careful, can run seeking after the things of God and in the, and in the endeavor to run after the things of God actually miss God in that. And not, if we're not careful, we actually can conjure up things, again, that come from who we are, what we desire, and then put God's name on them as if God is doing that among us. When, when he may or may not be doing that. As you look at this, this passage, 
The first thing I want to draw your attention to in verses 4 through 6, which I always like to do this, is anytime there's an indication of the teaching of the Trinity, I want you to see it. Anytime God shows himself in the fullness of who he is, I want you to see that. And it's not by coincidence that Paul uses three different words to talk about God. Three different titles, if you will, to talk about God. Because sometimes we just think that the church is only empowered by the third person of the Trinity. And that the church is only to worship the first person of the Trinity. And that our hope is only found in the second person of the Trinity. Everybody got what I just said? Okay, I hope you do. When in reality what the Bible teaches us is that, who is my Savior? God is my Savior. You say, well, Pastor Jesus is my Savior. Right, God is your Savior. <laughs> Who empowers me? God empowers me. No, the whole, Pastor the Holy Spirit. Right, God empowers you. And God is my Father. Or God, is, God the Father is a Creator. Well, Jesus is the Creator according to the Scripture. Which one did it? Yeah, He did it. <laughs> Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Bible says this. It said, God, Jesus said, my father shall raise me from the dead. Jesus said, I will raise myself up from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus was raised by the Spirit of God from the dead. Who raised Jesus from the dead? God raised Jesus from the dead. There's no contradiction here. It is the completion of the revelation of God to, to we who are finite people. And once again, he chooses to do that here. And again, the, so that we would emphasize and so we would, we, would, we would focus on not what's so much what's happening around us and not even why, why God and how God chooses to work around us, but in the midst of however God wants to do whatever God wants to do, we would put our focus upon God. You can't miss when you put your focus upon God. You see, I can misinterpret what God's doing. You ever done that? You mean today, Pastor? Yeah, yeah, today. We can do it all the time. We're always trying to figure out what God's doing. So, let's just be honest. So we can stay a step ahead of Him. Right? Right? No, you don't want to say that, do you? You don't want to say, you don't want to say, so, so I can, I figured this out. Now everybody come glean from me. Come glean from me. Because I figured this out. Can I tell you something? As your pastor, you might remove me as your pastor after this, but I haven't figured it out. <laughs> Every church that I pastor, they would say, Pastor, what does God want us to do? Pastor, what's the plan? The plan is you stay focused here. The plan is you stay open to the Holy Spirit. The plan is you don't go to God with a, with a, a complete agenda where you're, you've already decided what you're going to do and hope God blesses it. The plan is to stay open and surrender to Him. I could, I could set forth to you a, a very detailed agenda for next week, for next year. I could. I've done it before. And then I've driven the church to, to fulfill that agenda. Get it done. And I'm going to drive you until you get it done. And you've got to have faith to get it done. Unfortunately, many times it wasn't the faith in God. It was the faith in the pastor's dream. 
But what if in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit says, y'all heading in the wrong direction. You're doing the wrong thing. Are we so focused on the goal and the, quote, dream, that we actually miss what the Holy Spirit is saying? Paul wants the church at Corinth to once again focus upon God. I believe Paul wants the church here at Fountain Hills to once again focus upon God. Each one of you who are born again, how many would testify that you're born again? You know Jesus Christ, you're saved. Do you know this? Do you know that the Holy Spirit of God resides in you? Do you know that we don't have in the church a group of enlightened ones? Now we have different callings, different positions of teaching and leadership. Of course we have those things. But do you know that because the Holy Spirit resides in you, that you, according to the, to the Word of God, you are a priest before God. Which means you are able to receive directly from God the words of God. Did you know that? And he's calling us to focus or refocus or focus maybe for the first time once again on him. And he breaks it down this way in these three, these three verses. Verse 4, here's what he said. There are a diversity, or there are diversities of gifts, but what? The same Spirit. What's the emphasis in that, in that sentence? Well, some people put the emphasis on the diversities of gifts. Tell us what they are. Tell me what I got. Tell me how to function it. Tell me all these kind of things. But the focus is not the diversities of gifts in that passage. The focus is the Spirit in that passage. If we would get connected with the Spirit, you wouldn't have to spend so much time worrying about what your giftedness is. You'd just be walking in it. You really would. You really would. I know that's opposite of what we've been taught for the last 40 years in the church. Last 40 years in the church, what we've told people is, find out what your gift is. Find out what it is so you can function in it. And I've actually heard preachers say this, and teachers say, and then once you know what your gift is, trust your giftedness. Really? Trust your giftedness? Where does the Bible say that? I might even ask you, where does the Bible say that one gift that you may be functioning right now, you'll be functioning in that same gift tomorrow? If we discovered anew the reality of God the Holy Spirit in our lives and responded to who He is, we wouldn't have to spend a whole lot of time worrying about our giftness. We would just be responding to Him, walking Him, and He would manifest, the word that's used here, manifest Himself any way that He chooses. And you know what? That would be alright with us. But we don't like that. Because we want to tell the Spirit what we want. And who will be and what we'll do. It's an unfortunate thing that's happening in our churches. God is being removed from the position of authority, of power, the throne. And we're stepping in and stepping up. And then we sit around saying, well, why is the church so weak? Why is the church so ineffective? Why are our prayers seem so limited? We ask all these questions why, 
And the why looks us in the face every morning when we look in the mirror. And this same apostle would tell us once again, you and I need to reckon ourselves crucified to the flesh. Self is dead. You and I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet it is not we who live, but it is Christ who lives within us. Right? That's the description of the body of Christ. Or that is, a, that is a biblical definition of the body of Christ. It may not be the description of the body of Christ today. We've lost focus. We look at the diversity of gifts and we spend all our time worried about the diversity of gifts. And we neglect the Spirit who is the giver of those gifts. Verse 5 goes on to say this. It says this. There are difference, differences of ministries. What's the last thing say? But the same Lord. What is the emphasis here? It is the Lord here. It is God here. There are differences of ministries. How many ministries are there? Well, I couldn't even begin to tell you. I couldn't begin to tell you. What does ministry look like? Well, for my definition, it would be any legitimately God-led activity where God, where God is using you to further His message, to touch people's lives, to share His love. Well, that's kind of a broad thing. And I, 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 intentionally so. Because if we, we've decided that there are some ministries that are more important than other ministries, haven't we? In the church? Well, Tony, you're the pastor. That puts you here. And then you got David, he's, he's over here somewhere. And Danielle, because she's a girl, she's over here somewhere. And then, and then, and then, and then uh, Linda, because she's a music and a girl, she's over here somewhere. And floating around here somewhere is the deacons. But every once in a while, one of those deacons will try to jump up here. you got to slap them back down and get them back down here. You know? So uh, we, we put the emphasis, emphasis upon the ministries and we're in such conflict because we're worried about, we're so worried about, is my ministry more important than anybody else's ministry? Does everybody recognize my Please recognize my ministry. Please acknowledge my ministry. Look what we're doing. We're once again putting the focus upon ourselves, not upon the Lord who calls us to whatever He calls us to. And Paul is trying to say to this church, it's not, it's not the ministry, it's not the, the number of ministries, it's the Lord who's behind it. And if the Lord's not behind it, it doesn't matter what the ministry is. And if we've got to draw attention to ourselves, we're already headed in the wrong direction. Well, what if nobody recognizes my ministry? Well, put it in the category as when Jesus taught us about how we ought to give and how we ought to pray. Put it in that category, because I think it fits in there how we are, what, to, what we're to do. If I give to be recognized of men, then what I've given and any reward for what I've given is taken care of. If I pray in order to impress people and to put forth my great spirituality than any recognition from men about the great prayer that I am that's all I'm going to get same thing with ministry if God 
is in charge of my life, if he's leading me and I'm responding to him and he's led me to a ministry, that's between me and him. Now, he'll use that certainly to touch other people's lives, but that's between me and him. Now, before I move on from this ministry thing, let's be very careful. We talk about the spiritual gifts, and we use them as a, as a weapon of, of proving our spirituality. I'm more spiritual. I'm closer to God than you are. But we do the same thing with ministries, and here's what I mean by that. And it's kind of a turn on, on what we do with the spiritual gift. In the ministries, we want to say, my ministry is the most important ministry there is. And everybody should be doing what I'm doing. You understand, if everybody's doing what you're doing, there's a lot of things not going to get done. But we do that. Can't everybody see that what is important to me and what, I, what I've been called to minister is, is the most important thing? And if you want to be important like I'm important, then you'll join me in what I'm doing. And then what we do is we turn around and we start judging other people. Well, they're not doing what I'm doing, so they must not be as close to Jesus as I'm close to Jesus. If they were, they'd be doing what I'm doing. There's a very carnal thing that goes on in the body of Christ. Not just a local church, but I'm talking about the body of Christ. It's self-promotion because of the ministries that, you, that someone might feel like God has called them to. It's a very troubling thing. It's very contrary to what Paul's trying to say here. And, I, and I've used the term, I guess, more time in the last three weeks, and I've used it my whole, my whole life, because I guess I'm just learning what it means. So, and, and the term there is that, that Christ, what I call Christian narcissism. Look what I'm doing. If you were as spiritual as me, if you were close to Jesus as me, you would be doing what I'm doing. Look at what he says there. There are different or differences of ministry. Intentionally so. So that the ministry might be done. The third thing he says here, he says, verse 6, and there are diversities of activities. I like this one. But what's the emphasis? First of all, the emphasis is what? But, but one and the same God. Okay? He talked about giftedness. Not the emphasis, the Spirit's emphasis. He talked about ministry. Not the emphasis, the Lord is emphasis. Now he talks about activities. The activities are not the emphasis, but the emphasis is God himself, right? You see that? Why activities? Why activities? Do you realize that probably the most judgmental we are as Christians fall in this category of activities? In other words, not only are they not doing what I'm doing, not only are they not gifted the same way I'm gifted, but they have the audacity to do it in a different way than I'm doing it. You can't worship God that way. You can't serve God that way. You say you're a minister, you say you're you're in ministry, but you're not doing it the way we believe you ought to do it, so you're not doing it right. There are different activities. It's an interesting thing when you, when you think about what he says here, the diversities of activities. How does God reach different people? You know, I'm looking out at your faces and you are just simply not all alike. You're similar, but you're not all alike. Some of you are nice. Some of you are mean. I was going to go with the smart. No, I'll leave that one alone. 
the ages, difference in, the, in this group that's met right here, experience, as I've gotten to know you, different experiences that you have, the things that you've done. You have different views on, on different worldly, uh, world events and different things like that. But isn't it interesting that God's at work building his body? And I would bet that you could probably share even about your salvation experience that somehow, if you look back on it, the right person with the right approach was there right when you needed them. Isn't that incredible? That's how God works. That's why I always tell people, I say, well, Pastor, I've got a friend that's lost and stuff, and I'd like for you to come share with them. You share with them first. Why? There's a reason God brought them into your life. And you may be the very one that the Holy Spirit has decided can reach them when nobody else can reach them. Now, don't get puffed up about that. Because it is the Holy Spirit that's doing it. But it's an interesting thing how God uses a diversity of activities to touch people's lives. There are certain things that will touch your life that may, you know, that may not touch other people's lives. There are, there are activities even in the body of Christ that you would say, wow, that just really moved me. And someone sitting right next to you says, what? I didn't get it. I didn't get it. A diversity of activities, but one and same God. Listen, one spirit, one Lord, one God. That's where our focus needs to be. Is he working? I think he wants to. How does he work? He wants to, he, the Holy Spirit wants to, wants to pour out and manifest himself in us through, through the giftedness. Of course. The Lord wants to work through us as, as, he, as he works through us performing his ministries. And God wants to, be, wants to lead us and guide us because God knows how best to do what needs to be done. And God has a purpose. Not only in, not only in the activity itself or the, the event itself, but I believe he wants to, have a, he wants to be in, char- in charge and in control of how we do that activity. I, I just really think we need to understand it. Sometimes we pray... God, we're going to join and we're going to worship. When do we pray, God, would you teach us how to worship? God, I, I, I want today to be everything you want it to be. When do we pray, God, make me everything you want me to be, as you want me to be, that I might be used of you to touch anybody that you have for me to touch today? Paul reminds the church... That God needs to be the emphasis and God needs to be the focus. Now look with me at verses 7 through 11. And it says this, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another the different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But listen, verse 11, first part. But one and the same Spirit works all these things. What is stated over and over and over again in that passage? Tongues, right? 
Prophecy, right? Healing, right? Well, of course they are, because that's what the emphasis is about. That's what we need to be seeking. That's not what's mentioned over and over and over again. What is this mentioned over and over and over again? The same or one spirit. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb, but I do have this, this thought in my mind that if something is mentioned over and over and over again in a compact uh, expression of truth, not that, not that all of it is not important, but I must believe that, that the one that he takes great care to say over and over and over again, I must at least take time to consider that he has something to tell me. That's why he keeps saying it. Have you ever noticed in, in eight, eight, over eight years as your pastor, my message is pretty much the same all the time. Have you noticed that yet? Oh yeah, we noticed it. We go, <gasps> Why? Because there's only one message. There's only one truth. He wants us to see and he wants us to emphasize the spirit in this thing. And look with me at verse 7 as he begins helping us focus on this. And here's what he wants you to know. He says, but the manifestation... That same word, the giftedness, or the, or the, uh, the, the tangible uh, evidence of the Spirit at work in someone's life. Here's what he says. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Now that's where we get the idea that the Spirit works through each one of us. Is that also the idea, unfortunately, I think, where we take it maybe a little bit far and say, what's my gift, and I spend the rest of my life manifesting that gift. No, the I'm going to say this again. I said it last week. The gift is the Holy Spirit. How He wants to manifest Himself in your life today is His business. And it may change tomorrow. And it may change next week. The Spirit is the gift. The gifts aren't the gift. The Spirit is the gift. So what's He say? The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for what? So you can be impressed at how great I am. So you can be overcome at my spiritual countenance and my understanding and all. Now this is what he says, is it? It is for the profit of all. His intention to work in your life is for everybody else in here. And everybody else who's a part of the body of Christ wherever they are. Well, that kind of stinks. Because I kind of like the thought that it gives me what it gives me because I'm more special than other people. And so people can see how spiritual I am. But it's not what he said. The Holy Spirit works in your life and he works in my life for the profit of all. Let me, put it, let me bring it down a little bit. You know why God blesses you? You ever thought about that? How many of you are blessed of God? In one way or another. You know why God blesses you? You know why God blesses me? i got to tell you, sometimes I feel guilty that God blesses me. I do. Cause I'm, anyways, I'll, I won't talk about that right now. But uh, You know why God bless, blesses us? The simple answer. To be a blessing to others. You know why the Holy Spirit dwells within you? And would show Himself working through you? 
You know why he would do that? For others. For the profit of all. It's not a spiritual head game that we're playing here. It's not a spiritual one-upmanship that we're involved in here. There's no, there's no room for pride. There's no room for, for lifting up self and putting down others. Because anything that God pours into your life, He poured into your life, not just for you, but for others. And the church has turned inward and says this is all about us. Is a church that's dying on the vine. You know, it's kind of like love. Love never grows as long as you hoard it to yourself. It will die. It turns into something ugly. But when we, when we love, biblically, we give it away. And it grows. It's like giving to God. How can you give to how can how, this way? How can I possibly give to the one who owns everything? Yet somehow he lets me give to him, but I can never outgive him for what he's given to me. It's impossibility. I have friends. I do have friends. <laughs> I have friends who tell me stuff like, and I even heard it this morning. You know, whatever belongs to me belongs to you. You you understand that kind of a statement? That kind of a statement is, I have what I have, and I'm grateful for what I have from God, but I have what I have so that I can bless you, brother. It's the way the church ought to be. Because everything the Holy Spirit has poured in their life is not just so we can be impressed with what He's given us or so we can impress others with who we are, but so that we might be, think about this, so that we might be privileged of God, to be used of God to touch someone else, to bless someone else. So the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in our life that we, not for selfish reasons, but for the profit of all. And then He goes on to give some ideas of some of the ways that, that the Holy Spirit does this in the body of Christ. He talks about, first of all in verse 8, He talks about the word of wisdom. Wisdom, basically, is the proper use of knowledge. You've got to have knowledge, you got to have wisdom, but how do you use that knowledge that you have? Wisdom, when you look at that. We go on, He talks to another one, the knowledge itself. When he talks about a word of knowledge, he's actually talking about things that they really shouldn't know, yet God the Holy Spirit has, has revealed that to them. I'm doing a very quick thing that I'm doing here intentionally because I don't want to focus, I just want to deal with it. Next one he talks about is faith. Faith. I love the gift of faith. Now, in a very real way, every Christian has the gift of faith. But there are those who clearly are touched by the Holy Spirit of God. They're the kind of people that when you need someone to pray for, they're the ones you call. They're the ones you call. Gift of healing. Wow, you mean God heals? Yeah. He is the great physician. Well, then why doesn't he heal? Dot, dot, dot. i got to move on from that because I wish I could tell you because I don't know. But what I can tell you is most faith healers are not. They are not. Because if they are, 
They are the cruelest of men that walk on the face of this earth. I'm going to tell you, if God chose to pour into my life the gift of healing, I would hope that I would visit every cancer ward. I hope that I would visit every children's hospital. I hope that I would visit everybody. If God is choosing to use me through that, that's what I would do. I hope. I wouldn't put it up on display. So it only works when the cameraman or the director says, action. And it only works through the hands of the manipulative hands of, of handlers who say, Pastor, you need to see this person. Because you know they got a headache. Well, you, no, you don't have a headache anymore. Boom. Now your forehead hurts, but the rest of your head is okay. <laughs> by, by the way, before I move on, you'll notice here there's no such thing as slain in the spirit here. Okay? Doesn't happen. Oh, I saw it on TV. Okay. I saw an elephant disappear on TV. (laughs) Closest thing in the Bible you ever find about playing in the spirit, the falling back and all this kind of stuff. If you remember when those guys tried to come take Jesus in the garden. And he says, I am he. And what they do? They were laid out. You want to deal with another slain in the spirit? Read Acts chapter 5. Wonderful man by the name of Ananias and his beautiful wife Sapphira. <laughs> Want to go there? There will always be and there always has been manipulation of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. You say, Pastor, we've seen this, we've experienced it. Listen, I've experienced a lot of things that have nothing to do with God. And I will always take the word of God before I take someone's experience. Always. Now, does God do things? Yeah. Let me, let me just make this very clear to you. Do I believe God does things that maybe I haven't completely read in here? I do. But what the problem is, is that far too many people want to make these things the norm. When the Bible certainly does not make them the norm. I want you to think about that. We read on. Verse 10, the working of miracles. How many believe miracles still happen? Uh, you know what the greatest miracle is? I've got to share this with you, I'll move right quick. How many of you are born again? You, then you have experienced the greatest miracle that any man's ever experienced. How do you take that which is dead and bring it back to life? Well, to another, prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits. To another, Tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And I don't have time to get into tongues right now. Because that's really not even the emphasis. The emphasis is, look at verse 11, the first part. But one and the same Spirit, what's He do? He works all these things. Isn't that wonderful? He, he works all these things. He wants to be in control of his body, the church. He wants to be in control of the members of his body that make up the church. He wants me to be submitted to him, surrendered to him, so that he can work through me how he wants to work through me. And he wants that for you, and he wants that for you, and he wants that for you, and he wants that for you. And what we're going to find out as we continue in this wonderful chapter, when that happens, then the body really is the body. And it stands in the strength of the Spirit of God as one body with all parts working 
the way God intended for the body to work. And the out the outflow of that is that Jesus Christ is glorified. Last week we looked, John chapter 15 and 16 what is, what is one of the primary work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said would happen? Jesus said he, when the Holy Spirit comes he will glorify me now you want a real quick test as to whether or not what's happening is of the Spirit or is of the flesh Real quick test. Who's being glorified? Who's being exalted? How many times does the person that's supposed to be led or empowered by the Spirit talk about themselves, talk about their ministry, talk about what they're doing, talk about where they're at? Or how many times do they say, you know what? This is of God. We give all glory to God. Now, listen. Anybody can say that once or twice. I'm talking about you. Listen with discernment. Because we can manipulate and say, all glory to God because God is using me. Wait a minute. That doesn't sit right. Let me share with you something that just really hit me like a ton of bricks. My wife, Teresa, she doesn't like me to watch certain religious channels. But because before long, steam starts coming out of my ears. <laughs> many years ago, I was watching, I was actually pastor in Tucson. Many years ago, I was watching a Benny Hinn thing. And Benny Hinn was on TV, which he was a lot in the 80s and stuff. You don't see him so much on TV anymore. He's still around. But I remember they were doing the service, and he had people stand up, and he knocked them down and people come up and they'd hit them and they'd go down and all the, all the stuff that goes along with the master mesmerizer I, I make people mad because they say well how can you say those things about Benny Hinn because Benny Hinn teaches a false doctrine and what's going to flow out of a false doctrine is going to be a false Christ and a false spirit you say I don't get that then you need to listen a little bit closer but I remember watching this, this one where this father came up and holding what looked like to be a 10-year-old boy. And he was, just a description, this boy had some, some muscular disease, which all, all, he just sort of laid there in his dad's arm with no, you know, no raising the head, no raising the arm. It's just like, like you know, he had no muscle control at all. And so the handlers brought this boy and his dad up onto the platform. And Benny Hinn says, well, why, are the, why, why is he here? And the handler says, this is so-and-so. And he brought his son here because he, had, he went through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And his wish was that he could come to a Benny Hinn crusade. Benny Hinn starts to did you hear that people? He wanted to come to the Benny Hinn crusade so he could be touched and prayed for and all this kind of All the while he started all this, did they hear the people? The handlers were slowly moving this boy and his father to the back of the stage. He never touched that boy. He never prayed over that boy. He just made a big deal about that the father brought that boy there. Now I want to tell you something. Benny Hinn was a faith healer. The least he would have done was laid a hand on that boy and prayed for him. And if he was everything that he says that he is, that boy would have got up and walked. We've got to be led by the Spirit. 
We've got to walk as a people of God. I close out the message this morning by drawing your attention to the last part of verse 11. And here's what he said. Distributing to each one as he wills. Well, that's a pretty simple statement to deal with with you this morning. And basically it's this. You're not in charge. And I'm not in charge. And a church is not here to tell you what you should be doing, how you should be doing it, and what gifts you have. The church is here to lead you in the Word as a body of Christ and help you understand who Christ is and help you to respond to, to the Spirit of God. But basically, Paul reminds us that it is the Holy Spirit who distributes as He wills. So if He chooses to manifest Himself in your life in a different way than He chooses to manifest Himself in someone else's life, it's not a competition. Everybody got that? It's not a competition. And here's what you and I need to know. The best place for us to be is the place where the Holy Spirit has manifested Himself fully in our life as He chooses to be manifested. Because you know what? I may or may not know what's going on in your life. I may or may not know. I may or may not know where you're at. But there is one who knows. And there is one who, need, who knows what needs to happen in the body of Christ. And there is one who, need, who knows who needs to be lifted up or, manifest, or have himself manifested through him in a certain way to do something in the body of Christ that needs to be done. It's time for us to trust the one who is God in our life. Pastor who? God the Father? God the Son? God the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes. And it's time for us to quit acting like we're God. Oh, I would never act like I'm God. We do it all the time. Every time you and I try to instruct God in prayer, well, that's not my prayer. Listen to your own prayer life. Every time we try to instruct God in prayer, are we not taking His place? Every time we try to tell God what He must do and how He must do it, are we not? taking his place every time the Holy Spirit begins to move in the church and we say you know what we've never done it that way before we're going to do it this way because that's what we trust in are we not telling God that we're in control every time the Holy Spirit leads you to share your testimony or share the gospel with somebody say I'm afraid and I don't want to do that who's in control every time God the Holy Spirit says trust me just trust me. Stop spending all your time looking for results. Stop wasting all your time just looking for what, what I'm going to give you. And just trust me. I love the scripture where it says that he is our portion. He doesn't portion it out for us. Listen to me. He doesn't portion it out for us. Here's your portion. Bible teaches he is our portion and if he is our portion it's not possible for anything to be lacking I ask you to bow your head this morning with me when it comes to the truth that, that God has spoken to us through the apostle Paul this morning where are you in your walk and your relationship with the Holy Spirit 
It could be that there's someone here that does not even know God yet because they have not responded to the call of the Holy Spirit in your life. And here's what I believe. If that's where you are right now, I believe He's speaking to your heart. Because God loves you and Jesus died for you. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, trying to help you realize just how much God loves you. And how much Jesus did for you. And He wants you to know all that is required of you is to respond. All that's required of you is that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you have to look at your life and you say, you know what, I I can't even think of a time that I have ever given my life to Jesus. But right now you have that desire to trust in Jesus, to, to, to make Him Lord of your life. I'd sure like to talk to you about that. I'd love to pray with you about that. Not to put you on the spot. Not to get you to do something you don't want to do, but just to be able to pray with you about that. Because, because I believe if God's t- speaking to your heart, He wants you to know how much He loves you. He wants to, you to come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And to the church, I believe this message to the church for us, we the church this morning, is, church, take your eyes off of things, even good things. Take your eye, eyes off the manifestations, even the great manifestations. And once again, put your eyes upon Jesus. Upon God the Father, upon God the Son, upon God the Holy Spirit. Get to know Him. Get to love Him again. Get to trust Him completely once again. And then see what He does as you enjoy His presence. Finally, if God has brought you here and He wants you to be a part of this church family, you come, we'll receive you with open arms. We want to join you in what God's doing in your life. Father, I thank you for this day, for all that are gathered here in this place. Now I pray, Lord, that as we have heard your word and as we've sung together, as we've prayed together, I pray that our hearts are open to your Holy Spirit. Lord, I would ask that, that anything that was said that, that uh, just causes someone to focus more upon, upon the speaker or upon, or, or upon certain words that, that didn't set well, I pray, Lord, that somehow you would erase those. And, and I pray that the clarity of your Holy Spirit would speak into each one of our hearts and we would be willing to respond in faith however you're leading us right now. Some for salvation. Lord, some for, for uh, uh, an emphasis or re-emphasis to, to, to quit looking for things and responding to, to things, but to respond to your Holy Spirit. And some become a part of this church family. So Lord, I pray that your Spirit would continue to move, speak, and lead us where we need to go. So that Jesus Christ is glorified in his church. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand with me? I'm going to tell you, I'm only going to keep you for a couple moments now. If God is leading you to make a decision that you need to share with somebody, maybe you need someone to pray with, maybe you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're ready to do that. I'm going to be here at the front. There'll be a couple other men up here at the front. Be glad to receive you. Be glad to pray with you. But I'm going to ask you to respond right now. And I won't keep you but a couple moments. And then we'll leave this place. Let me just say this. I recognize that... Many of us will respond to God and His message without walking the aisle. It's not walking the aisle that's important. What is important is before we leave here, if we are children of God, that we respond to Him as His church. And we follow Him where He's leading us. As we sing and as the Spirit leads, I encourage you to respond as He leads you.